0: This episode of the Coaches Club is brought to you by Skaters Network. If you're just breaking into the game or you're a seasoned vet looking for gear that will help optimize your performance, then Skaters Network is your one-stop shop. With locations all across Australia and the best online shop in the country, you don't need to go anywhere else for the best advice and the best fit. No retailer does more for hockey in Australia than the guys at Skaters Network, so support the team that supports our game and shop at skatersnetwork.com. Today's guest is Bruno Lindia. I first met Bruno a few years ago at a coaching certification in Cochrane, Alberta. Bruno was presenting his Hall of Fame coaching program to a group of coaches and what he delivered instantly hit home for me. Bruno has a great understanding of the importance of a coach and how important it is that our players leave the rink wanting to come back tomorrow. He has over 25 years of coaching experience himself and is a professional communicator. If you're coaching youth sport in particular, then this episode is a must listen and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Please welcome Bruno Lindia. You want to kick it off? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So like I was saying, thinking back, Um, You know, you've been coaching for over 25 years and and generally coaches that stick around that long um, had a a strong motivation to get into coaching in the first place. If you were to think back, you know, what's one of your earliest positive or negative coaching memories
1: that you experienced when you were a player in any sport? Well, David, thanks. uh, uh, Thanks for having us on here. But um, that's a real simple one for me because we grew up with, you know, in a very, very simple simple uh center town uh which means we had nothing and we had two three families living in the same house for a period of time that's what my earliest memory is and we were playing pickup football because we couldn't afford playing hockey other than at the park so um and that's kind of how i learned how to play hockey And i'm not a you know not nhl hockey player caliber we never played that but we would play every sport on the face of the earth on our street or in a little gravel park that we had next to us. And um, my greatest coaching memory of a coach, you know, it it really wasn't a coaching technique or anything like this, but of a coach, is we're playing pickup football and I was uh, 10 years old and a lot of the kids around me were older and we play on the street, it was post to post, okay? And um, nobody's gonna believe this story these days right? Like your kids wouldn't, you know, nobody's kids would believe this. Nobody's parents would believe this, but we would be playing and we play post to post. And those were the end zones. And we had three downs or four downs. And all of a sudden this uh, 1966 or 67 Ford Mustang convertible comes over and he's honking the horn. And I only recognize him because he was much older, but he was, uh, you know, back then he was much older. He's probably 23 or something, you know, (laughs) and this green Uh, you know, Mustang comes down honking the horn and he yells out, who wants to play football on a real team? We're like, you know, we will. So, you know, my dad was at work. My mom was, who knows, you know, she was working or something and everybody's parents were doing work, you know, and we're playing in the, on the street and tell us more. And he comes out and I remembered him, you know, uh, his name was Ben Pica and Ben was just, you know, he was just a a university student or just started work. And he was a son of, you know, somebody down the street an Italian folk. And he goes like, what do you mean? You can play football like like on TV. And it goes, yeah, get in the car, you know, and it's a Ford Mustang two door. And there must've been seven of us in there and tell us more. And he drove us to the practice. So that to me was unbelievable. That, that was life-changing because now, a, I got a uniform. B, I got a helmet. Uh, and he would drive me back and not just me, and you know all of us. He'd drive us back and forth. It got a little complicated when it got cold. And then his other coaches, uh, and his name was Americo, and he had a duster and he uh, Dodge duster, the real ones. And he'd pile in four other guys, and that's how they. That was my first exposure to organized any sport, and uh, I loved it. And I mean, those guys became incredibly influential in my life. Uh, and that's really, it's not even a sport thing, but can you imagine coaches picking you up right now, uh, putting them, you don't even know who they are, yeah. uh, putting kids in their car, bringing them out there because our parents were working. And if I can add kind of a plus one about, you know, um, inspirational coaching is right around the time i was 12 i thought I was you know a pretty good football player let's say right and i was a linebacker one of my coaches were uh, i'm talking about american leagues football here Mm -hmm. and one of my coaches played for the ottawa sooners and he was all world and he's driving me home and he had to explain to me i had to move from one position to another position because they they needed this player we didn't have enough players and i had to go from middle linebacker to offensive guard and that was just like oh i couldn't believe they were going to do that to me but they needed and that was one of the biggest coaching moments i ever had he sat me down in his car when he drove me home and it was raining like it is raining right now in australia uh, as we tape this and he's talking to me like why it means so much to the team if i would move to guard or center because nobody else could snap the ball far And I was just like, Coach Ray, I don't think I, and forget about what was said and what was done. Can you imagine sitting in the car of a coach who's driving you home and being that influential and the trust and the, I was, you know, it doesn't happen these days. And uh, less putting people in the car with me, that's what I learned is that you need to talk to the person, even though he's 12 or 13 years old, that's that's a life shatterer. And you need to be able to communicate at that level where you know, I care about you. And he explained it to me. And let, let's let's make something clear. No offense to offensive linemen. I hate that position. I would never want to play it. I coached it. I don't like playing it. It's a hard position. I'm not, not big enough. And I'm not big enough to play middle linebacker back then. But I loved it. And he explained it to me in a way that I played both ways and loved it. And I did it for him, for the team. And those were really the two biggest positive coaching moments um, that you can't even imagine these days, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. just couldn't, couldn't exist. And if it did
0: exist these days, you'd need a lot of working with children checks and, uh, and everything oh else. But it's, it's, it's a special place, though, that car, right? Like, I know for myself, long car rides, great chance to, to audiobooks, podcasts, sometimes nothing. And just think, if, if I'm with my partner or a friend, great time to just have some one-on-one, conversation because you know i find it's easy to talk in the car your eyes are on the road it's just a great kind of box to communicate in isn't it
1: well you know what uh you can't jump out so you gotta listen yeah yeah if it's moving man you gotta gotta (laughs) listen and uh you know sometimes it's a good conversation sometimes it's not but yeah that's i mean that's not doable these days i mean with all the you know uh checks on your coaches and i mean I'm not so sure I would be that comfortable, but that, that was that, that was then, you know, so. Yeah. Different, different time. Well, that's, that's a
0: great memory, I guess, bringing it to kind of current day. Um, you know, most coaches, coaching associations have their own coaching philosophies, but for you, what is the ideal coaching philosophy for a minor hockey coach?
1: What does that look like current day? Um, what I think the ideal philosophy would be, Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to take hockey out. Uh, It really doesn't matter to me what sport you're coaching. Uh, First of all, I break down, as you know, I'm, uh, I'm co-creator of the, the, the the hall of fame coaching program that focuses in on uh, strictly behavior. All right. And I think it first starts off with when you develop a philosophy, you need to understand the parameters and definitions. And number one you have to understand or at least identify what the difference between training and coaching is. And we break it down to coaching is about behavior and training is about a skill. Okay. So philosophy usually comes into a behavior. Okay. So there's a third element that I've put in there uh, is uh, training is a skill. Coaching is a behavior. Inspiration is you have no idea what it inspires somebody. Uh, you can't predict that. Uh, what inspires me might not inspire you. You can try till the cows come home. It's not going to happen. So with that being said, training has nothing to do with philosophy as far as I'm concerned, because that's a skill. Okay. Uh, coaching and inspiration are behavior and the unexplainable I call inspiration. So the philosophy that I have, and I think most people should really consider is let the kids play, let them figure it out. Um, if they can't figure it out, you haven't given them enough room to figure it out. Um, And if it's, if they don't want to come back the next day, you got a problem with your philosophy. Your kids are quitting. Okay. It's look, you know, I usually say 99% of the time, just because I'm a polite guy and there's got to be a 1% there somewhere that I haven't figured out in the universe, but I've never heard anybody in over 25 years of coaching and playing at you know, um, I've never heard anybody say, I don't want to play this game because the skill training is just too low. You figure out a way to get skilled. I, I you know, um, I joke around with my kids who play baseball and, and my older son plays baseball and, you know, in university, if you could ever go get through the border these days. But the thing is, is that they always say, dad, or, you know, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think of my swing? What do you think? I never had a lesson in my life. But that doesn't stop me from hitting the ball 300 feet or 400 feet. I can't hit the ball 400 feet anymore, but that's a little plug. But um, in reality, uh, you find a way uh, to get the skill. Now, it's easier if you pay for it and if you can afford it. But behavior is something that inspires me to go back. If it's a lot of fun and I feel that I'm acknowledged personally, that's it. So my philosophy is let the kids play, let the athletes play and give them room to learn. Learning is equal to mistake. Give them permission to, to fail. And once you give them permission to fail, they'll swing the bat. They'll, you know, uh, hit the puck. They'll slap the puck. They'll they'll do a backhand that they're normally not feeling good about. And they're going to be inspired to stick around. They don't stick around. You got no sport. So I guess let them play. Let them have fun. That's excellent. I love that. So as as,
0: you know, in every level of sport, it's so easy as a coach to get caught in wins and losses. You you know, I know as a coach myself, when you see the parents or spectators and the fans, you feel the eyes burning through you sometimes if you're coaching a team that's not winning. Um, But in your opinion, what what should the objective be for the coach if we can remove wins and losses? what's what's the coach's objective in, in minor hockey or like you said in any sport?
1: Look, you know what uh, some some people view me as a bit of a fluffy coach and all this kind of stuff in minor sports. Uh, nobody's more competitive than me. I, I think everybody says that about themselves. Nobody's more competitive than me. Uh, David, I bet you you're, you're probably super competitive and every other kid on the ice, if you don't put, if every other athlete, forget about kids, every other athlete, if they don't actually think at some point, nobody's more competitive than they are, then they're missing something. They don't want to be there. Okay. Uh, every single coach wants to win, but I think you have to describe winning and you have to define winning relative to, and the big word is relative, relative to the parameter that you're playing in. Okay. So if you're playing in the world championship and truly the best players of each country are over there. Okay. A win is you score more goals than the other team. And that's a win and you get a gold medal. However, um, in most minor league sports um, you might have boundaries. I don't know how it works in Australia, but you know uh, here in Canada, and the U S you know, like if you're playing for a high school, sorry, if you live in an area where a high school uh, resides, right? I can't send my kid to another high school, okay? So they're kind of boundaries or whatever they're called, right? And so if my son, because I have two boys, if my son has to play at this high school and for some reason the, the you know, the demographic isn't there where there are football players or hockey players compared to another area, without breaking the rules of boundaries, they're going to be on a less skilled team, a less motivated team, maybe a less coach team, less financial team where you can rent ice or something like that. So now you got a, you got a real problem, right? And I'm the first one to say, it doesn't matter where they come from, but you got to, you have always an opportunity to win the game, the one game prep them as much as they can. Now you have to change that parameter a little bit. And I think it goes back to your philosophy is, You're probably in a very deficit type position right now because this school has way more talent than you do. Okay, that's just the way it's going to go. Okay, and so if you're playing within that boundary, wins and losses become kind of secondary because now you have to really describe what a win is, and winning to me is if the kids want to come back the next day or the athletes want to come back the next day, you have another shot. And I describe that winning by, you know, the big rock. You know, you're, you're, you're climbing up a mountain. It's all rock because we live in the Rockies over here. And somebody starts, you know, picking at the rock. And at some point, you're going to hit gold somewhere. It's the ones that keep picking at it that eventually is going to hit gold. So, maybe the first year, your team is not very good because of boundaries, coaching, ice time. And then the second, is if you give up, you're never going to hit the gold. So, the coach's responsibility is to identify that there is gold behind the practices and the games and the eight zero losses and on the scoreboard. Okay. But the big game is when you go, let's say your, your, your athletes want to try out for the Olympic team well, hey, that's a clearing slate right now as long as you get invited there, okay? And um, winning is now making that team and doing really well at that combine. So wins and losses is relative to the environment that you, you place it, right? So that's basically what it is. That's how I look at it.
0: Yeah, it's excellent. And, and yeah, the, that stone chipper f- philosophy of, of just keep hammering and, and eventually you're going to strike gold. I, I love that. We all know around teams, there's a lot of noise, uh, particularly minor hockey, mm-hmm. fans, parents, board members that might try to influence the coach. Um, and at some point, one of those players, or one of those people is gonna get caught up in those kind of wins and losses. What can you suggest to help coaches stay the course and not lose track of those objectives or what's what's a win for their team when they're, when they're getting influenced by those others?
1: Okay, so what can a coach do with uh, the noise behind them? Mm. make them part of the, make them part of the solution, bring them in. That's it. Hmm. Um, may I give you an example? Absolutely. So, uh, when I coached minor league football, uh, American league football, um, it became a bit of a joke, uh, but it worked. And I, I coached at a collegiate level. And then when my kids started playing sports where they were, you know, I kind of went down and, 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 and coached that, that level with the coaches. And I, that's when I started the hall of fame coaching is I said, wow, you know what? We got a, we got a bit of an issue here sometimes where we have a great opportunity because people I felt were missing the boat on a couple of behavioral things. And you know, what one of the, one of them was, they always say parents are the problem. Parents aren't the problem. Yeah, Parents are part of the village that we live in mm-hmm. without the parents. we got no kids without the kids. We have no sport without the sport. I got, I got to find something else to do five days a week. When it's minus 40 and we're trying to coach football. Right. Um, so you have to figure it out. You have to figure out a way to make them part of what I call the village. Okay. And it's really interesting. I, I, I'm sure that, you know, I always tell people that, um, you know, it's easy to be a, an armchair quarterback or somebody talking about the world cup result on Monday. Right. But walk around with the players, walk around with the coaches, walk around with the coaches' wives or the, uh, you know, the husbands of the coaches, you know what I mean? Because there's, and, and, and figure out what it really takes to call that play last second and see if it's going to work out. Okay. Make them part of the practice. So when I was coaching these little guys, it was really interesting. And I, I'm, if I coach the big guys and I have a problem, I'm going to do the exact same thing. Include them in the village. Okay. I know people are going to say that's impossible. Give it a try. Okay. So what I would do is I would have all my meetings. Now this is an outside sport. Okay. I would have all my meetings in the stand. The players would be sitting on the ground and the parents were right there. They could hear everything I would be saying. And at first I know some coaches were uncomfortable with that. And I said, too bad. They're going to listen to everything I say. I'm not a babysitter. Number one. So people, you know, like I said, they call me a fluffy coach. And they think, you know, it's all about fun and games. No, there's a method behind this. I think I'm a good guy too. But anyways, um, number one, I'm not here to babysit your kids. Okay. Thank God. I don't think I need your help to coach technically because our coaches are pretty competent. Okay. But I do need you to pay attention so that I don't have to repeat myself twice. And you get the misconception of what's happening on the field. I'm going to make you part of this team like it or not. And we would have every meeting in front of the, co- in front of the parents. And then all of a sudden we would, now it's a little different than hockey. Cause hockey, you got to go on the ice, but football, they're on the pitch. They're on the, they're on the grass. So there's nothing wrong with having a parent hold a pylon or hold a bag, uh, or lay down on the ground and they hurdle over you. Okay. I went as far as bringing in a grandmother, true story. And she had a, a a football jersey for the Calgary Stampeders. Henry Burris was a quarterback out here, and I had her stand right here. And the motive, the the sorry, the, the goal was they had to make a little bit of a technique move in full speed, but they could not touch the quarterback. So I kind of protected the you know the grandmother and said, hey, if you're gonna you know drop grandma, we're in bigger trouble. So guess what? Nobody nobody came close to her within that three foot area. My point is, is they are not a problem. They're part of the solution. Make them part All they want to have is a voice. So I gave them more than a voice. I put some pads on them and I got them to stick around. And guess what? The more you get them involved now, understand parameters of getting them involved. And we can talk about that later is grandma. I don't want you to say anything but slap. That's your word. Now you're coaching them. Just say the word slap and and they're blocking. I used to say, pop, 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 push, pop, 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 push, pop, 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 push. I want you to repeat that every time you see a player in this drill. You're helping, but don't say anything else until you're ready. And you know what they found out? As soon as they said something else, the kids would look and go, what do you mean? And then you're hooped, right? So make them part of it. And I'm not talking about carrying clipboards and organizing potluck dinner. Everybody's got that figured out. I'm saying, make them part of the game, give them a job. And you know what? They would love it. Okay. And that's kind of like it or not. That's the, that's the way I kind of look at that.
0: Yeah. I like that. Really, really building the village. So would you say for coaches, part of the job is you're coaching parents or you're, you're selling to parents selling the message to parents just as much
1: as you are the players. You know, in a very strange way, again, hey, David, you called me, right? I'm a little bit odd guy. I like to use the word unique, is that I'm not delivering my message to the parents and to the kids. Like it or not, every team that you coach has a different flavor as soon as you change one player, because that player comes with a family, with legacy, with expectations. There are not, it's impossible that it's equal to the expectations and the family and all that kind of stuff that you had before that player started, okay? Now I'm not here to say that we can accommodate every, everybody's person, uh, every person's, you know, little crazy little thing that they think we should run the ball. I'm not talking about technical. I'm talking about philosophically involving them in the village. Okay. As soon as one one player leaves that team, I say that again, everything can change and everything does change. Number one, be aware of that. Number two, um, get, I'm not coaching my philosophy. Now I got to figure out what this team's philosophy is, what their technical ability is right now, where I need it to be. And then we, I got to listen to the parents too. They have expectations. They're in kids' ears, like it or not. Forget about should or shouldn't. Okay. What actually happens is the dialogue between the kid and, and, and the parent and the coaches are not all the same all the time. Okay, If you can find a way to get to the parent, to the, to the player, and have everybody on the same page, and guess whose page that's going to be? Who pays the bill? That's the parent. Like it or not, you're going to have to buy into their philosophy. Okay, And that's something that people forget about time and time and time and time again. Because in professional sports, people are paid to play, so you got to listen to them. So you can, you can drill down what you want as an owner. Okay. And guess what? The coaches report to the owners, right? We forget about that, but in minor sports, somebody's paying for it. And eventually if the, if you're not striking a chord with the parents who are paying the bill or the, or the players, you know, like Olympic athletes, I mean, they got to pay their way. I know they're carded and they make a little bit of money, but you know, somebody has got to flip that bill. If you're not actually listening and, you know, connecting with their motives and their values, you're going to lose them. So, and all of a sudden you have a decision to make, oh my God, look at these players, look at this family, look at this situation I got myself into. Am I the right person to deliver that message on the field? I know it sounds crazy, but give it a try. Um, you, You need to understand what makes those kids tick. And most of the time it's the parents.
0: Well, look, some parents are involved more than others. Actually, right There's some parents who just want to sit in the car or, or sometimes they're gone, dropping another kid off at something else. Other kids are, are right involved. But overall, who would you say has a bigger impact on a child or an athlete's performance or enjoyment of a game or practice, the coach
1: or the parent, regardless of the amount the parents involved? Okay. So again, um, I have a very call it unique approach to this. I don't think is more or less, you know, you got a coach over here and you got a parent over here. Okay. or parents who has more, no such thing that doesn't exist to me. What I say is they have a different influence. Okay. And it's, they're both zero or one it's either on or it's off. Okay. So the reason why I say that is if you have kids You can say whatever you want to your children. And at the end of the day, you are unconditionally attached to that child. Correct. Unconditionally. It doesn't matter if you walk away from the kid, you're still your, your son or your daughter. Correct. Yeah. Coaches are conditionally attached to them because you can cut them. Mm -hmm. So the motivation, when you add a condition to it has to rise. Okay. Okay. If you don't meet a certain criteria of behavior and technical skill, let's say, you don't make that team, and the coach has the coach or the organization or the owner of the team, they have no other choice but to say you can't play on this team. But can a parent actually say, you know what, we'd like to do this sometimes, Oh, is this on, live on the air? There, you know, If you don't reach this level of behavior at home, I'm never going to be your father again. Is that possible? It's absolutely impossible. You hope not. So one's conditional, one's unconditional. So you you can't measure it the same way. Right. So that's kind of how I look at it. I don't think it's more or less. I think it's just different.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The look, going back to what you said there, the coaching, a lot of it, players are incentivized differently, motivated differently. And more than X's and O's, it's a lot about the environment and just the communication you have with players away from the rink, on the rink. Um, It's easy for coaches to research and find quality drills or games to play at practice, but what can you suggest for coaches who really want to improve their relationship skills with those players and parents? I've seen a lot of good coaches, and I've been one myself, that may run a very good on-ice session, but they're not great at interacting with the players and parents in that social scene, you know, entryway to the rink, things like that. What can you suggest for players, one, how to carry
1: themselves there and two, just how to improve in that area because that's such a big part of it, right? Well, David, you know what, to me, that's the simplest thing. And I think people forget that just be yourself. If you're a jerk, be a jerk. You're gonna figure it out, right? If you're a a decent person and, and, and you're just a little bit worried and you're insecure, about how to approach children or athletes or top level athletes or people that, you know, just not going to make the team be yourself. And why don't you just go up and ask them something? How was your day? Make it personal, acknowledge them. How about just, this is crazy. You might want to write this down and write, you know, uh, make sure, you know, their name. Okay. I mean, it sounds crazy. But if you don't acknowledge them personally, positive or negative, again, quoted as being a fluff coach, I get it. But sometimes being acknowledged personally means, David, may I talk to you for a second? You pull them aside. Listen, I'm not really happy on relative to our, our drill. You know, I, I just feel that you're not into it. Do you want to take a few minutes off? Now, that's not a, I guess, a positive driven message. know but it's not like hey great job keep not listening no 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 no. there's no fluff in it bring them closer say their name adjust and move on and number one thing it sounds great get to know their name and there's always a and, and understand there's always something going on in everybody's life period you know i know that if we go too long on this video and it's kind of sucks you know, you're, you got to go see your wife pretty soon. And she said, where were you? I was on a shitty bit. Listen, we all got stuff going on. Why don't you ask? And and always be clear of that line. Never, ever, ever, ever get close to their personal family line. Okay. Within reason, there's other reasons why you might want to cross it. If you, you, you figure out there's abuse or something like that, I'm talking about generally speaking, you know, and, and it's simple. Anybody from, you know, 12 years old to 25 years old or something like that, or even higher, maybe they're uncomfortable talking about their girlfriend, boyfriends, sisters, boyfriend, family, then you kind of stay away from that line. Okay. And try it, have a dialogue with them, have them talk back to you a little bit in a positive way, you know, and I'll I'll give you a quick example. I mean, I do this all the time because I'm always hungry. Um, But you know, my kids play hockey and once in a while when they're, you can tell a player is having a bad day and you just kind of walk up to them. I don't know what I'd say sometimes, but I just know that, you got to relate to them as a person. And plus, you know what? I don't even care about the score. Sometimes like we're getting our asses handed to us. Like, look, they're yelling and screaming is not going to happen. So I go up to one guy and say, Hey, did you bring any snacks for the game? He's like, you know, yeah. I'm like, what did you bring? He goes, well, they're in the dressing room. I go, well, next whistle, just go over there because I got nothing to do here and I'm starving. Well, the guy's going to maybe laugh or not. And maybe one player is going to say, I didn't bring any snacks or or something like that. And you might say, really? I go, yeah, these are conversations you have at the higher levels. Like do you think professional coaches are always yelling and screaming at a multi-million dollar a year player. You know, they're, they're chatting, they're talking sometimes. So acknowledging them as human beings with issues, but also opportunities. Um, yeah. Have a dialogue with them, make them comfortable to tell you what's going on. Uh, hey, listen, I, I, I did really shitty in school today. You know, um, my mom ran away. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, it can't always be bad and it can't always be good. But sometimes they're just looking for somebody to talk to and be careful on the talk to. I'm always on the careful side. Okay? But you never know what's going on in their lives. That could be the happiest time of the day or they dread coming here. Either way, you're going to deal with it. Right? Hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of how I do it is treat them as a
0: person. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. You know, we see the players on practice or game day on the ice in the locker room on the the bench. Um,
1: for well, those, David, can I, can I, can I throw something else out there? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I understand, try to understand, I mean, you know, now things are changed where there's so much online schooling hmm. um, consider this, right? Consider this. If you're let, let let's pick on, on um, uh, under 18 athletes, let's say. OK, um, what is their normal if there's any more normal days look like they get up in the morning and maybe their parents go, come on, David, get up. But mom, don't talk. Get ready. OK, so now they go in the bathroom. They get ready. Uh, they come to the, you know, the table and say, Mom, you know what happened last night? Oh, be quiet, David. Get, be quiet. Right. Get ready because you're going to be late. OK, they're in the car. Parents are usually on the cell phone, probably. Maybe they have an extra 10, 15 minutes to talk about it. But, you know, be quiet, get on the bus. They get on the bus, be quiet on the bus because you're not supposed to talk on the bus, right? Be quiet, get in line, right? And then you get into the class, be quiet. We're going to take attendance. Be quiet, go to class. They never have a chance to talk, right? So once they come to football or baseball or hockey or or badminton, any kind of sport, they're kind of like, oh my God, thank God I'm out of school, right? Be quiet, get in line, don't talk. It's crazy. Then they get home, be quiet, go to bed. Well, when, when, are they, when do they have an opportunity to dialogue? And as a matter of fact, that's kind of how I feel sometimes when you're rushing to work and you're having all these meetings and then you get to, to, to a sporting event, you're like, wow, this is the best we're outside or we're, we're in the rink or something like that. Why wouldn't you make it more of a positive way? Forget about wins or losses. The kid's going to be, you know, a hundred percent more energized. As a matter of fact, they give me energy when they tell me a stupid joke that I don't get. Right. So, I I, sorry, I want to throw that out because that's be aware of that's a normal day for kids is just be quiet, stay out of the way, and just don't cause crap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And we never really think about that, right? We just kind of assume they're off mucking around all day at school, but between class, car rides, meals, yeah, not a lot of time for them to just talk, be loud, be kids. So yeah. in those areas, you know, on the bench, but, but the kids coming into the rink, you know, the kids getting their stuff together after practice, some kids hang around a long time. Do you put a lot of importance on those times? One, to coach, but two, to, to kind of build
1: that culture of that community of the team? Yeah, you know, uh, hanging around the rink and, and, and doing that kind of stuff, I guess that's a relative term because if you're an Olympian, or a pro athlete, cause I'm talking about all athletes, mm. um, they kind of have to live there. Right. Yeah. So yeah, as a coach, as an administrator, you know, you got to figure out a way to co coexist, right. You're on the road. Um, you know, everybody's got curfews and stuff like that as you get probably at the lower levels, more, you know, uh, house league ish playing or just, you know, under 16 or 15 local, um, you know, I don't know about, you know, in your area, but there's less and less hanging out at the rink for hours and hours and hours and hours, right? Uh, rink rats, we used to call them, right. Or, you know, um, in baseball, we would spend hours, uh, catching pop flies or, you know, punting a football and after pro- hours. Well, all of a sudden we all have a taxi service that picks up <laughs> picks us up and their parents, And they're always in a rush. So as far as I'm concerned, it's shrunk quite a bit. Um, But I I do believe that um, a little less organized uh, time uh, where they can just kind of hack around and be kids uh, at every level uh, without having structured, uh, okay, this is when we talk together and it's, you know, like there's a lot less time in the ranks right now. Um, And so I, you know, I, I think they have to figure it out on their own. Um, and you don't always have to be, you don't have to have a drill to tell a joke. You know, it's like, you know, you just kind of go, Hey David, you want me to tell you something? Pull my finger, you know, there you go. And you'll, you'll remember that for the rest of your life. I think in, 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 you have to, one of the things that I talk about all the time is the three levels of environment. Okay. And sometimes you have to tell people, I know I have to do this at work. And sometimes I have to remind myself and don't look this up. I made this up years ago. It's like, when I'm on the street, okay, that's an environment for me. When I'm on the street, I can kind of do whatever I want, talk about whatever I want. You know, I'm, I'm around my friends and this and that and the other thing. And we're talking about anything. And it, now it's just Bruno. And it's, you know, he's a goofy guy, boy, he talks a lot, right? And he likes to joke around a lot and nothing serious. Well, then I bring it down on the bench. Now that's an environment that I would call that practice. And ever since Allen Iverson started saying, we talk about practice, right? So it's practice. Well, practice means intensity is a little higher. Instruction is a little higher. uh, Ability to make mistakes is uh, a little higher than, say, on the street. Okay. But now you're on the bench, which means practice, and you got to elevate it, but it's still not game time. And I think that's what Allen Iverson was trying to say in that video. Right? It's like, we're not talking about a game time, right? And then game time is yeah, the risk is higher. You can get hurt, right? You can get hurt a lot faster um, because the skill level is elevated, intensities level. And then we put something on there called the time clock. So we have to get this activity done in a specific period of time and the game ends and people are going fast and there's a win and loss and there's a goal or something like that. So we have to keep reminding them that just because you're on the physical bench in hockey doesn't mean <clears throat> you have to be, on the field like if you're on the bench getting water and you want to kind of poke poke a little fun at somebody that's okay because you're kind of on the bench bench now does that make sense so i remind people okay it's game time now don't talk to me don't walk into the as a matter of fact you know behind this door i have a sign on a video call so this is game time for me don't walk into my office and i think what people might say about me is that i have an open door policy except when that sticker's up because it's game time right And then when I'm training, it's training. So I tell some of the players that I work with is tell me when you're going to try something new, because you might try something new when I don't expect you to do something new. We're putting a new play in or something. And that'll confuse the other coaches and the other players saying the play won't work. No, the play works. You're just trying something new. So um, with the younger guys, I think the older guys do this too sometimes, is they mess around and they switch positions in football or hockey or something like that. But that's kind of having fun on the bench. But then in the game time, you're never going to do that. So allow them the ability to understand what environment you expect them to be in. So when they're on the outside the rink or, you know, like in the rink lobby or something like that, um, I don't know, unless they're selling cookies or something, trying to make money uh, or fundraising, it's probably street time for them. So let them do whatever they want kind of thing. And you're just one of the participants. And that's kind of how I look at it.
0: Okay, I have a few just quick ones to finish. Yeah, yeah, no problem. You know, over, like I said, over 25 years of coaching for yourself, you've been around a lot of coaches. Can you recall a time where you might have witnessed a coach doing a poor job, but with the best intentions?
1: Yeah, me. <laughs> so I mean if you're going to sit around and and you know what if you're going to coach for more than 1 minute you're going to be that guy or that girl. I mean first things first bring a mirror, you know, look at yourself and like, man, what was I worked up about? Okay? And again, it's just identifying, you know, the environment that you should or shouldn't be in, right? You're 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 coaching 10-year-olds, right? And all of a sudden you're finding yourself, now I did okay with this. Now I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I did it, I think, a little better because I had some incredible, like when I decided to be a coach, right, um, I had some incredible mentors. And one of them, you know, we were just joking around about Wally Kozak, right? So he's world renowned. He's unbelievable Olympic coach. And, um, you know, um, one of the things that, that I remind myself, uh, and he, he, I think he laughs every time I tell the story when I'm telling coaches, is that you get into it with a 10-year-old. Have you ever seen this, David? Yeah, absolutely. You're like, you're not paying attention. Where's your phone? And then the parents get in like, I just paid, you know, a hundred dollars for your hockey. What's a hundred dollars for a hockey stick. Now it's a hundred dollars for hockey tape. Yeah. But anyways, um, you know, when I put you in this course and that course, and you know, you're not, you're not responding, you're not motivated, this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I seemingly never get into those conversations. Right. And I remember a coach coming up to me and saying, Bruno, you're, you're, it's either, you don't care. Or, you know, something I don't know. And I said, you know, what kind of my secret is, is that I kind of, you know, I pride myself in being an adult, right? And secondly, why would I want to have a, an argument with somebody like a 10 year old that still believes in Santa Claus? Where's that going to go? Right? Like I'm a guy with a job, you know, some people have mortgages, some people have debt, some people have girlfriends and wives that are leaving them and you got a 10 year old as big as you know his or her biggest thing is like you know what i can't wait to go to the restaurant i don't know like i don't know yeah, i yeah. i can't wait to look at the next youtube video like that's their, that's their biggest stress yeah you know they're waiting for somebody in a red suit and a white beard to come down the the chimney <laughs> you're going to argue with that person what's wrong with you yeah right so yeah you know what doing a poor job is being totally unaware of the environment mm. and you know you have a whole bunch of you know, rec player hockey guys, and uh, you know, at a certain level, they want to win. They
0: mm-hmm. want to
1: play hard. Like, but at the same time, you're going to take it as if it's the Super Bowl and you have 4.8 million people watching you. And they're like, dude, listen, uh, I'm a lacrosse player. I don't even know. I come here for exercise, relax, chill out. Right. So, yeah, it's that's the number one thing. And I know I, I was guilty of it because sometimes I, I'd show up and I was all ripped up about something. And uh, all of a sudden they go, Hey, coach, can we tell you something? Yeah. You know what? David broke up with his girlfriend. I'm like, Oh man, sorry about that. Or, you know, somebody's parent died or a grandparent died. Right. And now you tone it down. Um, yeah. That that's, I'm the first one to tell you. I'm sure I've had those days. Right. Mm, yeah.
0: And be aware of the situation. That's excellent advice. What's your most memorable
1: Enjoy, like, sorry, your most enjoyable memory from your coaching career. Okay. So I'm going to break that down in two, right. Is, uh, number one, uh, my kids. All right. And number two, other kids. <laughs> okay. So let's start off with the other kids. I mean, there, there, are so many. And, um, uh, one, one of the things to be quite aware of reality is in the hall of fame coaching, one of the first slides, the dedication is, I dedicate this program to the kids that I may have discouraged to play. I don't know those guys; those people never show up because they're out of your life, and they're glad they're out of your life. I'm I don't know if I did that, but if I did, I'm sorry about it, and I'm I'm willing to apologize because I I needed to grow too. I don't I honestly don't remember yelling and screaming at somebody that wanted to quit, but I'm sure there's somebody that said I didn't like playing for you, right? Um, so that's the number one. Awareness, but and and then when I go down the road, is that just you know, I don't know about a, a year ago. Uh, one of them that I remembered was, um, you know, uh, on a football channel on on LinkedIn. One of our former players that played in professional that I ended up coaching during collegiate, um, you know, said, "Yeah, this is a drill that Coach Bruno did or something." And I'm like, you know, you get goes on your email because it's on your LinkedIn, and I'm like, "Whoa, that's pretty cool, right?" Uh, that's number one. Number two, I mean, just recently, well, my co-founder, how can I forget my co-founder, Drew Carpenter on, uh, uh, Hall of Fame coaching. Um, he was a former player in football and, uh, I guess he was inspired enough by both of us that, uh, you know, he wanted to be part of part of this. So I'm very, very proud of Drew. Um, and that's the best thing when they, when, when they emulate or they go into coaching and they use the same philosophy and stuff like that. So that's number one, uh, in, in terms of my kids, because they were players also, and I did coach them for a long time. My biggest, I guess, enjoyable memory to to date is sometimes things don't go well and they're not selected for teams. And, uh, maybe they're a little, you know, I don't know, bullied is the word or teased and, and they don't make a team and they don't, you know. They don't want to go to practice. And I remember one thing that that I told um, my kids is that the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What matters is when you're trying to make uh, an NCAA team or an Olympic team or a university team to get into it, Um, that's when it matters. And that's where it all comes together. Okay. So enjoy the ride. Don't focus on the wins or losses like you mentioned before. Okay. Focus on being better today than tomorrow. So for instance, in baseball, uh, I always tell people, you know, oh, my kid made this, you know, my kid made, made this level and my kid made that level. You know what? At the end, it doesn't matter if they're trying out for, you know, a collegiate team that get, they get a scholarship because in baseball, it's pretty simple. They have them in two piles, right? The guys that throw the ball like pitchers and the people who hit the ball. And it doesn't matter where you come from. If you hit that ball, 400 feet. You know 20 times out of 30 you're in group a you see what i'm saying and then if you throw the ball with your left hand and you throw it 95 miles an hour and it moves you're in group a i mean it doesn't matter where you've been outside of that and this is where hollywood makes really cool movies of people that come out of nowhere does that make sense so i could be playing on a pond or in my park and having no money to play hockey but if I continuously work on skating really fast and whatever the skills you guys do in hockey these days, right. And shoot the puck at hundred miles an hour. And then I go to that tryout to get a scholarship. Chances are they're, they're going to say, well, where did this kid come from? Right. And that's what I'm most proud of with my kids. Cause yeah. and Fortunately I say, fortunately they didn't make, they didn't, they didn't buy into the hoopla of making triple a and quadruple a and this selects teams and travel team. I actually didn't allow them to play on a lot of those. Because I found it is you're not getting enough reps because of the coaches. So I'd rather you work on reps, work with players, get game situation, have a little fun, and you're going to get better with reps. So anyways, that's, those are the two um, memorable moments as coaches. So for,
0: uh, for our young coaches out there, minor hockey, um, in Australia, you know, working with brand new coaches, we see a lot of a lot of uh, cool things on the ice. You know, at one stage there was a, an Instagram page called Coaches in Jeans on the ice. Right. Uh, in summertime, I've seen coaches uh, in board shorts. You know, kind of straight from the beach, skates on, out on the ice. Advice to minor hockey coaches: How does a coach dress for practice and games in 2020?
1: You know that's, I mean, it's a tough one only because I don't know the environment and what you want to set up. And, you know, I get beat up on this all the time, but whatever gets the best out of your players is what you need to do. Mm. And, um, I say be professional all the time, but remember the three things that I talked about, the three environments, being on the street, being on the bench and being, um, you know, on the field. Over time, if you're doing it just to be a goof and to draw attention, it's 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 just gonna be you know something that's gonna happen once in a while, mm. right? And once it becomes a habit and you need it, then you're gonna this is more than just dressing, okay? Because mm. I've been around teams where they and the coaches where they said, No, we have a, a dress code, and you have to wear a suit on the road and you have to wear you know tie and this and that and the other thing. And then guess what? After you know. After the game, they kind of go, okay, you guys got from free time. And these guys were demonic, man. They were like bad people. They, they were crazy. Yeah. Okay. And they caused so much trouble. And the coaches were, you know, they go out till all, you know, they, I mean, it was bad, you know, and we're kind of like, well, does it matter what you wear? Does it matter what you do? Mm-hmm. Is it helping you develop these players? Um, and again, I'm going to quote Wally Kozak. And I don't know if it's his saying, but he always said this, a gold medal, if you're nothing without it, you're nothing with it, mm. right? Which means uh, you can wear the fancy clothes all you want, and you can wear surf pants, you can do whatever you want. But if that's really not you, they're going to figure it out. And if that's really, really not you, uh, and it's just a little gimmick, you you might want to tell them it's a gimmick, right? Mm. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the things that we used to do with the little kids if I knew some kids weren't having a, you know, the, the greatest day you can tell, right. When they're five, six, seven, eight years old. Right. Uh, we bring four clown noses. Right. And, and we kind of go, okay, listen, you know, you're going to have to wear this. Why? I don't know. Cause I need to know. And the other guy had in the Christmas, we'd have, you know, the, the deer ears, right. And have them skate around because they're, they're the marked guy. You know, when you're when you're kind of saying number five on that team has to wear the red helmet. So you're, you're running some practice simulations. Well, truth of the matter is um, I end up going to high school football and the kid had a, a red nose and, uh, and they said, yeah, we used to do this when we were a kid. Well, listen, adults have parties and you dress up like Fred Flintstone and Superman and Batman. Why? Cause you did it as a kid. Right? So never discount that also being important it's a little gimmick it's a little funny and it's got its time but just the fact that you dress code and this and that doesn't make you a better person and they'll figure it out right
0: mm-hmm. look if you had a a minor coach's hockey game card um if you could just write three words on that game card for
1: that coach what would that what would they be okay three words. Well, I don't know what the words would be, but I'm just going to tell you what I tell, what I think. Okay. Hmm. It's like life. Okay. I don't know if this is three words. If you skate, something happens. Mm-hmm. If you don't skate, nothing happens. So worse yeah. comes to words, skate. Right? Yeah. So maybe it's not three words, but that's what I would put down is number one word is skate. If it's hockey, because you're asking me about hockey. Yeah. Right. Um, And that's it. So skate for hockey. Everything else is, you know, when I say have fun, I'm very careful. Sometimes it's not fun to go to practice. Right. I really say be yourself. Okay. Let them be there because it's on the coach's card. Right. Okay. Let them be themselves. Let them play. And they will win. That's it. So in hockey is skate. If they don't skate, everybody likes to skate. Yeah. You know, we complicate this thing is skating is, I mean, just let them skate for now. Right. Nobody, I, I know that I'm not a good hockey player. I mean, I play men's league maybe now still, but I didn't grow up as a hockey player. Couldn't afford it. But I'm going to tell you something is as, as bad as some of us were when we played really good hockey players, um maybe they were a little out of shape as adults they hated when we skated would you agree absolutely
0: absolutely those teams that even if they're not very good if they're buzzing around it's just oh my gosh it's crazy
1: yeah and and i'll remember i can't remember what year it was i think it was 19 whenever canada made the world cup in soccer okay okay and i'm sure in the internet yeah I, i can't lie about these things but i heard it and um i i watched it i think italy played um Uh, Sorry, I know Italy played Canada in their only World Cup, okay? I think it was in 1986. And I remember the goalie that was there, but I can't remember what year it was. Anyways, the bottom line is they interviewed some Italian players, and they said, what do you think of the Canadian team? Oh, my God, they never stop. And the score was a lot closer than anybody would ever, you know, we thought they would get killed like 100 nothing, right? Mm. But the score was a lot closer. I think – if I'm not mistaken, I think it was one or two, nothing. Okay. But they just could not get over in what great shape Canadians were on the pitch. Mm -hmm. And I'm not putting them down they're a million times better than I was in soccer, but I'm saying skill wise, they never said they were skillful. They just said they never stopped, which made it annoying. Right. And that's what I would say to a hockey coach is just make sure they skate, stick on the ice, you know, skate and stick on the ice. And the other ones let them play be yourself. And just, you know, that's it. I mean, that's, that's basically what it is, right? That's excellent. Well,
0: there's been some really sound advice there for, for all our minor hockey coaches. Um, Look, I really appreciate you taking the time today. As I said, you have a wealth of experience and you've worked with a, a ton of coaches on helping them stay focused and make them better coaches that I think you really nailed it with we're doing a good job as coaches when the kids want to come back tomorrow and i think everything we went through today um our coaches get a lot from
1: so bruno thanks a heap for your time oh man i'm the one that thanks you you know but uh, next time we got to do it in uh, australia or when next time you're up in canada so that'd be fantastic right on thanks david awesome
0: no